morning, everyone. My name, for those of you who don't know, my name is Josiah Grothy. Thank you for joining us on this very nice Sunday. A um, couple of quick announcements for all of you. First off, no children's church, no nursery today. That, that email went out, but just in case you missed it, if you need things to keep your little ones occupied, there are some packets out where you normally sign up for children's church and, you know, like uh, coloring crayons and things to do. I think my kids are busy at it already there. Um, mission trip to Liberia. If you'd like to donate to that, um, make sure you put Liberia on the check or online gift, whatever it is, so that we know where that's supposed to go. There are two conferences coming up, a men's conference this upcoming Saturday, so six days from now, and then a women's conference in February. There's more information in here and on the website if you would like to know more about that, as well as contact information to get your questions answered. Uh, tithe statements for the year 2023, they have been sent out. So they're either in your box out here or mailed to you, um, just as an FYI on that. And uh, I think we'll call it there, other than there are quite a few other things in here. So please take a moment to read through it or grab one on your way out. Or as always, you can look online as well. With that, would the ushers be willing to come forward? We're going to say a word of prayer and then um, move forward. Dear Lord, thank you for the day that you have given us here the people who have gathered to worship you in this, in this building. May our hearts be open to your prompting and just love for each other. And this tithe that we are about to take, may we use it for your glory and in your service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our scripture for today, John 15, 9 through 11. Let's read together. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy baby full. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Washera uh, Community Church. I, I, I learned very quickly how to pronounce it. I got uh, phone calls, multiple texts. Um, but what my encouragement about pronouncing thing is, is just sound confident and no one will know that you're wrong. All right. Especially when you get into the Old Testament, you're reading names. We don't really know what they're supposed to say. So just pronounce them the way you feel like it and just keep moving on and no one will recognize if you're wrong. Uh, we are, Jenny and I are very grateful. It's been a blessing to be here with you this weekend. Uh, it's been a blessing to kind of process all of this with the search committee and, and, and the elders and really, really seek God's will. Uh, transitions are hard. Uh, just in normal everyday life, transitions are hard. Changing a job, uh, moving in any form, inviting new people into your life, uh, those are all hard things. 
But one of the cool things about the church in transition is, is it, it forces the people of God to gather around an idea and pray. And the idea is, okay, God, what's your will? And so maybe, maybe in times of transition, we feel like, God, why are you doing this to us? What, what's going on? Why aren't you with us? And what you don't realize is God is preparing you for works he's about to do, but you're not ready. And so you need time to process and pray and, and prepare yourself. And so my wife and I have been processing what transition looks like, and what it looks like for our kids. And, and it's been a blessing to be here with you this weekend to a, attempt to remember all of your names. Uh, if you could just wear name tags for a year or so, that'd be great. Uh, but but it, it's been an awesome time. But as we, as we spend time together this morning, I, I, I want you to ignore the fact that you're, you're thinking about, okay, is this our God? I, I want you to wipe that away. Because we're here to get into the Word. Uh, we're here to spend time in before God, and, and we're here to understand what He has to say to us. And then we let His will speak. All right? And so we're going to dive into the Word, but before we do that, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace to allow us a time every week where the body can gather together, specifically designed around worship, of celebrating you, of taking time throughout the week to say, okay, this is our moment where we all pause and we reflect and we stop, but we do it together. And we worship through prayer and through the word and, and through song and through giving of the offering for our time. And so, Lord, you gather us together week after week and you call us, you call us to celebrate who you are, and we are grateful for that. We are grateful that your word calls us to do that. Because I don't think our hearts always want to. And so, Lord, we're here this morning to worship you. While I may be asked to speak, God, I would ask that your spirit brings the words. And that this would be an opportunity for us to worship together. And so, Father, we just pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in John chapter 15. Uh, I teach from an English Standard Version Bible. So if you're, I'm saying words that don't match up to yours, I just want you to kind of know where it's coming from. Uh, but I want to give you a little context. Context is always important when we're studying scriptures. If we don't know what the context is, we don't know what the writers are saying. But this is the end of Jesus' journey. Judas has betrayed him. He's, he's, he's preparing the disciples for a life without him being physically present in their world. And so he's talking to them. And he's being very clear and very specific about the dangers that are coming and what they need in order to face life. And so he sits with them, and he begins to speak about all kinds of things. And in John chapter 15, we, we find him with the disciples, and we find him making his last I am statement of the Gospel of John. And he says this, I am the true vine. Now we're going to pause there. I had a professor once challenge me and said, hey, could you ever take a passage of Scripture, just one verse, and preach three sermons from it? And I was like, 
uh, maybe. And then he's like, how about 10? And then he kept pushing the limit. Because that's, that's the beauty of Scripture, that even in these, these first few words, there's so much depth. There's so much clearness as you, as you dig all throughout Scripture that would say, this is what Jesus is really saying. Because to us, it's a simple picture in our mind. Jesus is telling us, his disciples, I am the true vine. We can see that in our heads. We can imagine a plant and its growth. We can imagine where it gets its nutrients and its food and how it's nourished and how it grows. It comes up out of its roots and through its vine and, and then it grows. But yet what Jesus is saying is so much more. He's saying, I am. And to understand that, you have to go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. God's people have lived in slavery for hundreds of years. And God selected one man, Moses. And he's saying, listen, I need you to go back and I need you to get my people. And they have this wonderful conversation. I think if you want to learn to pray, I think you could read that conversation. It's a good way to talk to God. There is back and forth. Whoa, God, I can't do that. What am I supposed to, who am I? What am I supposed to say? How am I supposed to do this? What am I supposed to tell him? He says, tell him, I am who I am sent you. Now again, in English, we're like, okay, that's a weird sentence. But what he's saying to them is his name. I am God. And I am God alone. Because here in the midst of their captivity in Egypt, they were surrounded by hundreds of gods. And they'd been crying out for years upon generations upon generations saying, God, are you listening to us? Have you forgot us? Do you know where we're at? And yet, he says, listen, go back to them and say, I am who I say I am. Moses doesn't speak on his own authority. He comes back with God's power. And as an Israelite, or as a modern Jew in Jesus' time, to hear this, you're thinking about Jesus standing there and declaring his ultimate deity. I and the Father are one. So as, as the disciples start thinking about all the things that are coming after this, they're sitting there going, okay, again, Jesus over and over again is telling them, I am God, I am God, I am God. I'm the God that created the universe. I'm God that breathed life into you. I'm the God that has loved you and sought you and has been with you. Scripture's beautiful. It just keeps pulling us back in and there's so much connection and the more you study it, the more you can begin to understand the picture of it. Because even if you just move a few words later, the true vine, you got to go back to the Old Testament again. Israel was considered to be the vine. Over and over again throughout the Old Testament, it is, it is called the vine. But every time you see it, every time you see the vine mentioned, and there's a discussion about who Israel is, there's conflict. There's pain. There's suffering. In Psalm 80, you find that Israel is the vine. God has led them out of Egypt into new lands. And they're like, wait, 
God, this is hard, and, and we don't like this, and our enemies are at our throats. So their vine is not sustaining or lasting. You go into Isaiah chapter 5. Israel is the vine that has been planted by God himself, and they failed to heed his will. And so he's removing the protections from them. In Hosea chapter 10, the vine is a fruit-producing plant. Now we might be getting somewhere. But then as you read, he's saying, no, you're producing your own fruit. And ultimately, your own fruit is failing. And so here we have Jesus. In five little words, saying, I am the God that you have been searching for. I am the God that loves you and created you. And I am the ultimate promise that God has always made to you. It wasn't being the nation of Israel. It was me. Not just the vine. The true vine. The vine that provides life. And so imagine imagine this as you're sitting there with Jesus and you start picturing these things in your head. Because if we're reading Scripture on our own and we, we have no context or it's new to us, we can understand this Scripture. It's beautiful. Jesus teaches in a way, even if we don't have all this context, we can understand what He's saying. But then you see the depth. And you begin to dive deeper into who God is. And then there's more excitement. And you begin to celebrate more. But the more you understand about who God is, the more you get excited about what he's doing. Because if Jesus is not God, every promise he makes in this passage, every promise he makes throughout Scripture is worthless. And so in his final moments, think about that. If you had one last thing to tell people, what are you going to tell them? I mean, we're going to tell him that you need Jesus, right? But he is Jesus, so he tells him, guess what? You need me. And so he continues, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, your your translation may say gardener. And this is what the father does. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now Jesus is talking about two different types of people. And and we'll see the truth of that as we read verse 3 in a minute. But he's talking about two very different people. Those who have a relationship with him and those who do not. Ultimately, Jesus says you're a stick, people. Right? You're a stick. Just imagine that in your head. You're a stick. And Jesus says, guess what? Sticks that aren't connected to the plant, what happens to them? They die. What do you do with them? You scoop them up out of your yard, you throw them in the burn pile, and you burn them up. Or you maybe shave them and cook a marshmallow on them. I mean, there's a few uses. But what Jesus says is God looks at all people. And he does something with both of them. He either takes them away because they're dead, and and Jesus is going to clarify that more later, or he prunes them 
Now, we like if you like plants, all right, you love pruning. Pruning is a beautiful thing. Uh, we have plants in our house. My wife grows a jungle in our house. I bought for her. Uh, it was at Sam's once, and I was walking through, and I saw this uh, discounted, discontinued plant that looked like it was dying, and I was like, ooh, I don't know what that is, but it had leaves about this big, and it was the plant was about this tall, and I was like, oh, that would be fun. I bet you'll like that. It was, you know, a couple bucks, so I bought it, and I brought it home, and uh, I tried to kill it at one point by putting it outside. It, it, it likes warm weather. It's, it's called a bird of paradise. And we didn't really know what it was at first because I just bought it and it was on clearance and my wife likes plants. And so I was like, here you go. And it was this tall. And then my wife cared for it. Now, there's not a lot of pruning going, but there's, you know, when I killed some of the leaves, she had to prune those off. But it's grown and grown. And now it touches our ceiling. And, and it, because it's cared for and it's tended. Now we have other plants that have the same issues, that they're growing crazy. But in the midst of that, they're also, we don't have any fruit bearing plants growing in our house, but my wife has pulled out parts of the plants and grown more plants and shared those with others. And so what, what's happening here is Jesus saying, listen, there are going to be those who are dead and God pulls them away. Okay, Jesus is, is truth and love. All right, those are not separate things. All right, he is truth and love. But he says, but those, there are going to be those that, God, that are in me that God's going to prune. And here's the thing about pruning. Often when we picture pruning, we think about, you know, taking away all the dead. Oh, that leaf is dying. That branch is killing off. Because what happens? If, if you have a branch of a plant that's dying off, that plant tries to pour more nutrients into it. And it ultimately hurts the whole plant. And there's sin in our lives that God says, hey, I, I, I want to get in there and I want to remove that because that's not good for you. And the problem is we can look at a plant and we can go, hey, yeah, that, that plant, that's not looking so healthy. We should cut that out. But when it comes to our own sin, we're like... You know what, God? I, it's okay if I keep feeding. I can figure it out. Like if I just pour the right mix of nutrients in there, it's going to come back to life. I can handle my own sin, God. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, God is going to prune you. And if you've ever grown some plants, you realize that pruning sometimes means removing some good things too. Because there are going to be times in our lives and in our ministries where we are seeking the Lord. Everything is going well. We're doing exactly what he called us to do. And he says, hey, listen, I'm going to move you to something good. And we're like, ah, but I, I love teaching this class. I like this ministry. I like the people I'm with. But he's like, no, I've got better for you. But you got to let me in there and prune. And so our natural reaction when God shows up with the shears is to be like, oh, oh please don't. 
when our, when our natural reaction should be open ourselves up to God and being like, okay, here I am, Lord. Go ahead. And so what happens is, is Jesus, Jesus assures them, because I can imagine this conversation, and I can imagine being the disciple that was like, wait a minute, some of us are going to get thrown out? Is, is it, are you talking about me? All right. So he assures them. He says to them, verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. They are clean because they know the gospel message. They are clean not because of anything they have done, but because of what Jesus has done for them. They are clean because they have realized I want you to think about this, because when we, when we talk about the gospel, we often forget this part, right? There's a part of the gospel is the realization that we're sinners. And if we are cleaned, that means we were dirty. And so Jesus says to them, listen, you've already been clean because you have believed in me. You have put your trust and faith in who I am, my death, my resurrection. You've repented of your sins, and I have washed you clean. So do not worry. And so I want you to consider that as we continue on because that is a product, a telling sign if you're following Jesus. Do I produce fruit? And if it's going well, the question is, am I allowing God to keep pruning at me? So this is what he says. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We are called to abide in Christ. Super simple. Right? Everyone knows what abide means. You use it every day in your normal conversations. You're like, today I abide it. No, we don't. It's not a it's a weird word. I it's a weird word, but so I'm gonna explain to you the best I can. I apologize ahead of time, parents. Uh when I was a child, I had lots of chores, and I love chores. Uh and one of the chores I had was that every other night my brother and I had to wash dishes. So I had one night, he had the next night, and so on and so forth. Uh but what I learned very quickly about washing dishes was that some dishes are really, really hard to wash. They take time. We didn't have a dishwasher. I was the dishwasher, all right? And so what I realized is my mom would accept, oh, that dish is hard. So I would fill it with water and soap and say, hey, I'm going to let this soak on the counter, all right? I'm going to let it soak there. And as it soaks there, the soap will break down all the gunk. And if I wait long enough, my brother will have to do it tomorrow. Now, why do I share that story? That's what abiding is. It's that dirty dish that you fill full of Jesus, and you just let it soak. You let it permeate every part of you. You spend time with him. You listen to him. You read his word. You pray. You spend time with other believers. 
you allow other believers to speak to you on God's behalf. That's a scary one. You gather together as a body. Also a scary one. You might say, well, why is that scary? Well, sometimes the church gathers together to do things that you are uncomfortable doing. I went to Taiwan on a mission trip, and they taught us how, how they pray. And I love it, and I force people to do it all the time. So just warning, it's going to happen someday. All right? But we all get in a circle, and we all hold hands, and we all at the same time pray out loud. And then what happens is as we wind up, the pastor gets louder and everyone gets quieter, so you can know you're finishing. But it is, I have, I have seen people when I've told them that we're going to do this, just try to run and hide, all right? Because there's things that we do as the church that are like, that's, that is terrifying to me. i got to meet new people. i got to hang out with people. I don't know. Do we have anything in common? Do we know each other? i got to potentially pray out loud. You know, when I was a youth pastor, that was the first thing. If I needed kids to be quiet, I would always say, I need someone to pray. <laughs> right? So th there's, there's pieces of the church that we don't even like. And, that's, and, and that, shouldn't, that shouldn't be the case. And so how do, how do we fix that? We don't fix that by doing anything but abiding in Jesus. Allowing Him to, to soak into who we are. In, in order to do that, we have to be with Him. You have to spend time with Him. You have, you have to be in His presence. You have to know Him personally. And so, because without Him, we can't, we can't produce anything. People all over the do, world do things that are good. Right? I can go and help someone without Jesus. I, I can go mow my neighbor's grass. I can... I can feed someone. I can, I can see someone hurting and I can just say, hey, I, I, a good, I'm a good person. I should go do that. Doesn't mean, but why did I do that? What was the heart behind that? What was the desire? And so what we don't realize is the good things come from God. And out of the goodness of God, we begin to see the fruit produced. But only when we are abiding in Christ does that fruit actually happen. And only does that fruit grow when we continue to allow God at work in us where he's cutting away and he's trimming things up. There are times in ministry where God is going to remove everything from you and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hack you down. Every time I've taught this passage of scripture to students, I always plant rose bushes. Uh, they are beautiful. They are easy to care for, but they are a lot of work, right? Because so, you, you have to cut them down. And if you want them to grow, if you live in a place where, you know, it snows, you have to cover them in the winter. You just hack them all down. But if you want them to grow beautiful the next season, you have to do that. And there are seasons where God is going to do that to us. And it becomes an easy process when we've allowed ourselves time to soak into Jesus. When we say, hey, I, I've spent time in the Word today. I've spent time listening to the Spirit. And then you'll start to see fruit. You're like, whoa, I was really patient today. I, that's not usual. Oh, yeah, I sat down and prayed this morning and spent some time reading the Bible. And I was really gentle with my kids, and I thought I'd come home and be angry. But that, that's not a product of your own just awesomeness. 
That's a product of Jesus working through you, the Spirit producing fruit in you. Why? Because you're spending time soaking in Jesus. And that's it's hard. It's at times scary, but it's beautiful at the end of it. We can produce fake fruit. Uh, be careful. I can force myself to be patient. It doesn't always work, but it's not always necessarily a product of the Spirit. It's not necessarily a product of what God is doing to me. But so we allow Christ in our midst. And when he is in our midst, we can see and understand what he is doing. Now, we have some more clarification. Remember, Jesus is truth and love. All right, Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, though, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned. Jesus wants us to understand very clearly that there is only life found in him. You go back a chapter, what do you find? The sixth I am statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Imagine this. Someone is, someone is hurting Someone is in pain. Someone is looking for truth. They're trying to understand what life is all about. What are they looking for? They're going to fill it. The world is going to offer a million options. A million. And yet, none of those will provide any life. Today, if you're a Green Bay Packers fan like me, You, you might be a little sad. But it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter because, oh, they'll be better next year. That's not what I mean, all right? It doesn't matter because that's not important. I love football. I played it my whole life. Played a little in college. I've watched the Packers since I was little in a Bears household, all right? But at the end of the day, I can walk away from the TV and go, meh. It's a game. I love Jesus. But what happens is the world doesn't see that. And so we can help fight that fire. Because the branches that don't have life get thrown in. But we, we can run in and say, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about where my life comes And so Jesus doesn't stay with the negative. He continues on. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Alright? I want to make that clear. It's not, it's not just some experience. Okay? I, I love going to conferences and missions trips and walk, hearing all kinds of great messages and hearing new music and worshiping with other people and just being all hyped up for the Lord. I love all of that. And every time I've ever taken people on a missions trip, the, the first two weeks after, I pray for them constantly, and I call it the missions trip hangover. Because what happens is they're all excited for the, the moments they had in Jesus, and they're excited about everything they did, and they're like, oh man, I'm going to go tell my friends about Jesus, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change all my life. And I'm, it's, it's like the first of the year, and you make all these 
ideas, that grandiose ideas that you fail on day two, all right? Uh, but they're so excited. And what happened to them, that experience that happened to them was very real. But it's driven by this deep emotional desire rather than just the truth of who Jesus is. And so we have to understand and we have to see the truth behind Jesus' words and we have to let them penetrate to our deepest depths. And we have to sit in the Word even when we don't understand and we have to pray when we're tired and we don't know why. I woke up at 6 a.m. this morning. I have no idea why. And I wasn't even tired. Like, I was like, God, you obviously want me up because I I have no idea. I'm never up at 6 o'clock. And so I prayed. And I sat and looked at this message and I processed. and And it was an invitation to be drawn near to God. If you abide in me, in my words, 